Well, welcome once again to the greatest song you never heard podcast. I am Chris Cochran. I'm here with my good friend. Phil Anderson, I got the cue this time. He did get the cue this time. And this is the podcast where we actually go through deep, deep parts of our library, our brains, the folds and recesses of our craniums. And we pull out those songs that for whatever reason, we feel like, why does not everybody know this song? They should be more familiar with these songs. They're the greatest songs that you've never heard. And so uh, last week we had a really good episode and uh, you were going to reference that. Oh, no, I don't think I was going to reference it other than uh, I swore. You did. You did it. We made podcast history. (laughs) Well, it was really funny because you said, great, now I have to put explicit on there, which I didn't see that tag on. I didn't. And the song had all these swear words, but you couldn't couldn't hear it because of the way it was recorded. Mm. The music was a little, in my opinion, it was a little louder. I like to hear some of the words, but it kind of covered up. So, you know, (laughs) and so, uh, yeah, my F-bomb at the beginning, that didn't get covered up at all. Hey, you know what? We have no rules here. It's true. This is our podcast. We can do what we'd like. I don't remember what I was going to reference, though. So if this is your first time listening, uh, we show up each week and uh, the... Every, each one of us bring a song the other one doesn't know what they're hearing so I'm going to be hearing the song you're going to hear today the first time just like you are uh, and then we're going to talk about why we think it's the greatest song uh, you never heard and maybe even why we think it didn't ever become the greatest song that you did hear so Phil what do you got for us today? I am not going to say a lot about this I have a lot to say but I'm going to wait till the back end okay and just so you know I have no interviews but this one would have been a good interview It'd be great. Well, all these would be great interviews. I right? know, right? We need to do a little if, bit more of that. Uh, if only we, we knew more people in the industry. That's right. Well, we know some. Here's the funny thing. We sat down. We were going to record this um, series of episodes two separate times. That's true. Uh, one, we had a little uh, medical issue that kept me out of your uh, studio. That's true. And, that's true. And one, we had Mother <laughs> Nature. <laughs> Rona, damn her. Uh, and then we had Mother Nature saying, yeah, may, not this week. It's true. Uh, there's still, um, our little city of Coeur d'Alene is a war zone still. It still is. But you've got power. Yep. I will get power tonight. I'll be super happy about that. Let's get on to this particular song. Are you Sounds ready? Good. I'm ready. Listen really, really careful. Okay. To the beginning. If you 
Notice, by the way, out of coming out of these songs, one of us often says, "All right," <laughs> but even here well, and there, because we're both very optimistic people, that is we true. will never say all wrong. All true and highly. Well, this could be political at all left. I don't know. <laughs> when uh, when my kids were young, and we'll get into the song in a second. When my kids were young, they used to say "Good morning, Dad," and I'd say "No." Good is mediocre. For the Cochrans, it's great morning. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. And any of you can borrow that. It, and uh, many people just say, no, morning. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I don't want to hang around you today. <laughs> All right. So this song here, uh, it's it. so whenever I listen to a song, let me let me take you through the process of what my brain The Cochrane process. Uh, especially if I'm trying to figure out the, well, so first when I hear a song, first thing is, do I like the melody? Um, and with blues, typically the answer is no. Right. Um, and I know that. But, uh, and then the second is I start listening to the words and do I like the words of a song? Uh, and then the third thing I start thinking through is do, what's the production going, what's going on in the production of this song? Um, so there was a few things in this song production wise that I really liked. I kind of thought a the few production things, is really good. Yeah. There are a few things in the production that I didn't like. Interesting. Um, and, uh, so the first thing I thought was this is a definitely a white dude trying to sing blues. Um, so there was that thought that went through my mind. The second was... This is a, an African-American born in Jamaica. Oh, interesting. Not really. He's a white oh, dude. Okay. The white dude trying from, to sing the blues. From Chicago, though. Um, and uh, my only other real like complaint about this song was, I hate the use of the word guitar. It's that, Are you playing the sitar? Because I would love to hear the sitar ring, but your guitar would be better ringing than your guitar. You like guitar. Yes. Not guitar. Guitar. But sometimes you have to call it a guitar to, to uh, get the right beats. That's true. Beats on the so song. one of the other things I really liked about this song, though, is if you listen really close to this song, there are hand claps on every snare hit, uh, which is like, I, I started, I don't know why, because this is where my brain works. I started thinking through the recording process and going, this song was probably done in the early 80s. I'm, t- I'm thinking by the production style of it, um, maybe 82, 83-ish time frame, because the the toms weren't tuned down and, and there wasn't a lot of the drum stuff I listened to for that. The bass was recorded uh, kind of flat. So it, it tends, in my mind, I'm going, oh, this is probably early 80s. Would that be um, emo? <laughs> because like emo, you would always sing out of tune. So <laughs> if a bass is a little flat. No, no, I mean flat as far as the EQ goes. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, um, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of like, like when you listen to Beatles and you get all you get, there's no high end on the bass. It's just a big boom, boom, boom. boom right, like, right. Uh, this is like very, there's not a lot of low end, not a lot of high end. Um, and so I was thinking it's got to be around that era and, and to do hand claps on every snare hit in that era meant that someone sat there for the four minutes of this song, however long it was and went, or a group of people, which would be even more fun because you know, they were doing it at like two in the morning uh, and they were stoned out of their mind or drunk off their butts. So interesting um, because I don't know if I've ever noticed the hand claps. Really? Yeah. I'll have to listen back. 
for those hand claps. Yeah, it, it really caught my. It's, it's subtle, but it's like it's on the snare hit every every time. So um, I have no clue who this is. I thought I would know uh, who it is, and when you tell me, I'm probably going to be like, I don't even know who that is. Yeah, I don't think you will. This is a band from Vancouver, British Columbia. Okay. Called the Powder Blues. Okay. Uh, Tom Lavin is the lead leader. Right. Okay. This band was so influential for me in the 80s. Hmm. Uh, when I owned a cleaning company, I would queue up, because uh, you have the Walkman. Yeah. Look it up. If you don't know what a Walkman is, look it up. And so one side of the tape was uncut. The other side was Thirsty Ears. That was the name of the, their second album. And I would listen, I, I would get my work done really fast because <laughs> much of these songs are this uh, much energy. Yeah. But I love the idea of, I just like to hear the guitar. Right? So it's not just a white dude, it's a Canadian singing the blues. Well, he's from Chicago. Okay. So okay. he's from Chicago. Yeah. And uh, these guys really, so 78 is when they um, formed and they okay. were like a house band up in Vancouver. Okay. Okay. Uh, this album was uncut. It was the first one. The very first song is "Bopping with the Blues." One of these days, I'll 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 throw it out there because talk about production. It is so tight hmm. how they produce their songs. Of course, he's got his own uh, recording studio hmm. back before it was popular to have record your own recording studio. Right, right. So he had all the controls, and they never really made it mainstream. But they did. So the band was founded by the brothers Tom Lavin and his brother Jack. And they released this self-financed and self-produced debut album, Uncut, which this, I think, is the second song on it. And you probably know the name of it. Hear that guitar ring? You're so good. I love to sing. (laughs) (laughs) And it came out in uh, 81, I think. Okay. Yeah, so you you were pretty close. But they won the Juno Award for Most Promising Group of the Year in 1981. And I think they won Well, let's be honest about the Juno Awards. And this is no offense to any Canadian artist. But do you know about the Canadian um, song laws? Uh, Yes, I do. Um, A bit. You have to, uh, as a station, you have to play a certain amount, like a very high percentage. Every third song has to be from Canadian artists. That's only 33%. So I thought it was actually higher than that. But still, that's a pretty high number. I I worked in radio in a border city uh, right outside of Vancouver, actually, for a while when I was younger. Um, Oddly enough, too, by the way, we've never had this conversation. Um, I actually used to have, when I was in middle school, my dad um, had a cleaning company. And I would help him two nights a week with my Walkman. And I would this listen to awesome. Mark and the Dark Allen on KUBE in Seattle. Cube my uh, 3FM. Yes. Yeah. Either that or I'd be listening to tapes, but yeah. You know, uh, funny because this album, Uncut, actually went platinum. Really? In Canada. Okay. What is platinum in America? Uh, I believe it's um, a million I, sales. I think, I think you're right. A million yeah. in sales. It's not a million sales in Canada. <laughs> there aren't even a million people in Canada. <laughs> You hit 100,000 sales in Canada. You're certified platinum. Is that for real? That's for real. That's hilarious. Because I looked at this and I'm actually, it went double platinum. So 200,000. I'm like, wait a minute, 200,000 well, copies is double platinum. So in 1981, his only real competition was Anne Murray and Gordon Lightfoot. Uh, what about Jeff Healy? Neither one of the, none of them were new artists. So no. the new artist that year in 81, I mean, I don't even think the Tragically Hip was around in 81. Gordon Lightfoot, wow. Notice I didn't say anything about Anne Murray. <laughs> the amazing Anne Murray. The amazing. That's right. So this um, this is a very big influence on me during those years, and I set out to 
put a New Year's Eve party together for when we turned from 1999 to 2000. And I thought about this 15 years prior. So then I put a New Year's Eve party from 89 to 90. It's practice. Mm. Mm. I was going to have this band down to play that part. Oh. I sold tickets, I think, for 30 bucks a piece. She got some champagne, a little bit of food. She got the powder blues. Yeah. And so uh, at the last minute, the day my daughter Lindsay was born, November 7th, 1989. Well done. Thank you. I had to make sure that it all lined up, but it does. Anyway, uh, Tom Lavin calls me. I'm in the hospital room. She, she, she was born. It was already delivered. And he said, I, we can't come down. We have a couple of guys in the band that can't get across the border. <laughs> because of legal issues? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure there's substance abuse or uh. substance uh, issues. And so, um, but I haven't stopped listening to them. And I had to, I, I brought a, um, a band in C-Town. If you know who C-Town hmm. was. So, I don't. Um, Rick Novito was in it. Uh, I think my uncle played in the band. I mean, it was like a, yeah. Seattle musicians that they came and did me a favor. Oh, that's awesome. To play the party. But I had lower ticket prices. And yeah, yeah. people were like, you're not going to have these guys. Yeah, we'll go to this party. Totally. Like, Screw you. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's a lot of history with me and this band. I love it. To me, anybody who uh, likes blues... These guys play really traditional blues as well. Okay. This, you know, it's a blues tune. Yeah. It's got the blues riffs, the the blues, um, the guitar solo. I love. I mm-hmm. mean, I know every note of that solo. Like the songs that you've been pulling up said, these so- these songs on this album are one of the top five if I was on a stranded island. Yeah. But, right? Yeah. Or on a, um, an island. And um, this would be one of those albums for me. Hmm. It's that good. In my opinion. That's awesome. Why do you think it isn't more uh, recognized and well-known? Is it just because the blues isn't popular? Part of it is, well, you know, I, there are still blues lovers. Yeah, you can say that for any genre, but uh, maybe for one. Number two, uh, he is very strict. Like, we'll probably be uh, get a cease and desist on this episode. He's like, you can't use our music. I'm like, dude, I'm promoting your band. Totally. But uh, from an album in 1981, you're never going to sell another copy of. Let's be honest. <laughs> Come on, Tom, get real. So uh, he is not on Spotify. Hmm. He believes that's not a way of making money. Hmm. Uh, my belief is the more people hear your music, and, yeah. and let's think about this. Isn't it funny? Bands will beg you to listen to them. They'll play at art festivals. Um, public venues for free just to let people hear who they are and then they there's a tipping point and someone really loves them and they give them a contract and it's like nope we are gonna get paid now yep uh it's a really interesting paradigm it is an interesting paradigm so anyway this is one of the greatest songs i've heard over and over and over uh you're not a blues guy what do you think of it uh, you know, it's okay. Yeah. It was, it wasn't, um, I, I wouldn't put it in my greatest song, never mm. heard list. Well, of course. But I, it was really well done. Um, it's a catchy tune. Like I can still, I'm still kind of rattling around in my brain. Um, so there was that piece of it. I, and I loved the production on it. It's fantastic. He does a so nice job in the recording if, studio. If it wasn't that song and him singing in the blues, I probably would have liked it. Yeah. Well, there, I mean, it's, it's, have you seen, have you seen, uh, name that tune, the new one? No, I haven't seen the new one. Okay, it's really funny 
because they were playing songs outside how it was written. Yeah. Like it's raining men or something. They were doing it in a in a grunge way or something. Okay. That sort of thing. Uh, it's kind of interesting because put in the right context, you know, it's really interesting. Songs, if you write a song in A, oh, guitar players love A, D, and E, right? Right. But if you write in in one core in one key, uh, you might bump it or or drag it down or whatever and change the whole feel of the song, the whole sure. temperature. And when I played at church, we would sometimes go up a half step for the vocalists so they weren't comfortable. And when you push <laughs> your voice, it it you get a more volume in it. So yeah. That's fascinating. It's funny that you say that because as I was getting ready for this show, I was just listening to random songs. Um, and there is a song that came on my playlist, and it's just a random playlist. Um, from a, a band called Sleeping at Last, which is really a dude who goes by a band called Sleeping at Last. So if you've ever watched Grey's Anatomy, mm-hmm. all those weird cover songs yeah. that people do, that's almost always Sleeping at Last. He does really? a lot of these. Yeah, if you heard his voice, you'd be t- And he did a version of I Would Walk 500 Miles by the Proclaimers mm-hmm. that is haunting and romantic and like, oh, it's it's just him and a piano. And this, and so, yes, I understand exactly what you're talking about where, and that's to me, one of the measures of a good song. If you can sing exactly. uh, that same song, Prince, if you ever get a chance to listen to uh, Piano on a Microphone 1984, which is an album of him just jamming in his studio in 1984. Right. Um, he does a copy, uh, or he does a version of um, Purple Rain that is spectacular and totally different than the album version. He also does a, um, one called... Um, Strange Relationship, which was on the Sign of the Times album, mm-hmm. um, much later. And when you listen to the original one, the the him and a piano, it's a completely different style. It's a it's so and it's so much better. But it's one of the hallmarks of a great song is anyone can take that song, sing that song in a different style, and it's still good. Yeah, no, I agree hundred uh, percent. So that's it for this week. It is. And Tell people where they can find us if they want to, to stalk us a little bit. Okay, so you can find us most of the mainstream places you get your podcasts, obviously. And Phil can be found at 172 Riverside Drive. That's I'm just kidding. Right. Apartment. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our website is thegreatestsongyouneverheard.com. We are also on Twitter, G-S-Y-N-H podcast, and uh, on Facebook, The Greatest Song You Never Heard. Awesome. Well, we will see you again next week. Uh, any parting words, Phil? Nope. I'm looking forward to next week because I get to listen to a new song. That's true. All right. We'll see you next time on The Greatest Song You Never Heard podcast. Podcast.